0: Talking with the experts. Hello everyone and my name is Rose Davidson from doesbiz.com and welcome to Talking with the Experts. My guest today is Alan Stevens who is an international profiling and communication specialist who has worked with international clients the likes of Disney Films and Gillette and high profile organisations like the Australian Federal Police to help them to understand how people tick. Alan works with business owners and executives, helping them to understand and engage their clients and prospects, enhancing their presentations and negotiation skills. And with parents and teachers to help them um, enhance the ability of their children to reach their full potential while improving the experience of the parents, teachers and students. His latest community initiative is the Campfire Project. The Campfire Project is a safe place for men and women to give themselves permission to tell their stories, to share their experiences and wisdom from around the world. And this is his We Together initiative. And a couple of um, kudos that he's received from the Herald and Think the Mentalist meets Dr. Phil. And from the UK Guardian, it's the leading authority on reading faces globally. Wow. That's amazing. Hi, Alan, and welcome.
1: Thanks very much. It's great to be here, Rose.
0: Yeah, so tell me, um, what is profiling and communications as a specialist? What, is, what does that entail?
1: Well, profiling for the purpose of understanding the other person more effectively so that we can build stronger relationships. And that could be in any area of your life. It could be in raising children to understand them so that, uh, you know, we help them to a better future so they don't fall through the cracks because our education system is not designed uh, for modern days for all of our children. And so we need to look after those kids that don't fit into that specific narrow area. And on the, um, as they're growing up, helping them find the right careers to match their personalities then when they're out in the workplace to be uh, find the right careers that will suit them uh, most effectively, put them in the right tasks, but also in finding partners, keeping a partner and uh, uh, being able to, in the workplace, be able to be effective to increase your negotiations, your sales uh, techniques, to be able to uh, build loyal teams as well. So face profiling just tells me everything that I need to know. So I can look at somebody as they walk past me in the street, know their personality and then when I'm talking to them, all those little indicators, body language and expressions that then tell me um, uh, what their emotions are, how they're really feeling about what I'm talking about. And also, are they telling me the truth?
0: Yeah, that's really important about the telling the truth part. Yes, as, as, a, as a survivor of um, abuse, um, yeah, it was I learned to read people's um, body language, especially their faces or their eyes. Mm -hmm. To me, the eyes are really important um, in gauging what someone's feeling. I don't know that. uh, Do you uh, feel that way or is it the whole face?
1: It's the whole face. But as far as that, they, they say that the eyes are the windows to the soul and the facial features are your windows to your mind. That's the way I process the whole thing. But the area where your eyes move, there used to be a saying that if you were um, talking to a salesperson and their eyes were moving all over the place, you you couldn't trust them. Well, it's actually the opposite. If they're able to look at you and you're talking about your specific case and they're going, oh yeah, I know exactly how we can then fine tune this to fit you and their eyes don't move, you know that they're telling you the same thing they tell everybody else all the time. So they're telling you about something unique, but really they're uh, talking about something that they have as a one-size-fits-all. Uh, oh, that's so, interesting. Well, your eyes are going to move around. You know, we'll look up for visual images. You know, to remember something, to also imagine what it would look like out to the side for what things would sound like or what they do sound like, and into uh, looking down into our um, feelings and also our what they call our internal dialect you know, the thought processes and everything else. So if you're talking to me, I guarantee, and you're asking me a lot of questions and I'm looking at, well, the best way to help you and everything else, my eyes are going to be going all over the place.
0: Oh, because, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought of it like that. So tell me about um, what, how you came about working for Disney Films. That's an interesting um, organisation to be profiling.
1: Well, um, that came about from, I'd had a video which had been up on YouTube, and at the time it had about 700,000 views, and a PR company in America saw it. They then started following me on Facebook and on social media, looked at the conversations I was having, came to me earlier in 2016, and asked if I'd be uh, interested in going to either Iceland or or, uh, England on a project, and I said, yes, I would, but tell me more. And they came back and said, well, we can't tell you at the moment. We'll have to get back to you. And I thought, oh, this is another one of those internet scams. Well, in uh, July, August, they got back to me and said, oh, we can tell you now. Uh, Disney Films and Gillette have a joint project. They'll be doing it in London in uh, Pinewood Studios. And would you be willing to go over? And uh, I said, yes. And they said, well, you know, sign the non-disclosure document so nobody will know anything about it mm. until you, you get over there for the event. And... Uh, Disney Films had taken over Lucas uh, Films and they were now, it was a Rogue One uh, episode they were about to bring out and they were what do you call it, uh, disclosing or uncovering all their new clothing. It was a a launch for that. And uh, Gillette were using all the players for their new ad, which was uh, for their new razor. Uh, So Rogue One was the the high priority at the time. And uh, my job was to be uh, interviewed by the world's press uh, to uh, explain to them the stories the face tells before you utter a single word. And that's the truth. Your face gives away so much information. So it was a, uh, virtually a 10-day holiday for uh, three hours' work.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, be, <laughs> yes.
1: You know, chauffeur-driven everywhere, looked after like a king, and to do three hours' work, and in that three hours, of course, the journalists, they flew in from uh, from Russia, from all over Europe and America, We're asking, well, how does it work? So I just spent three hours profiling them all. And that's when uh, they just went back and wrote up all the stories in those different countries about how it all worked. So it was one of the best gigs I've ever got. Uh, I'd like a few more of those if anybody out there is in that position.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd like at least one. That would be terrific. Okay, so um, you have um, the Campfire Project, which I know I'm a member of, and I've been Mm -hmm. on a A couple of times telling my story, and I've been on um, several panels discussing different uh, topics. Tell me how the Campfire Project came about, Alan.
1: Well, a lot of things that had happened in my past, and I've been through two divorces, a lot of relationships, which was also another reason why I did all the profiling work that I've done. So that set me off on that path. But all the men I was talking to, I realised there were a lot of men who just didn't know their role in the home. They didn't know their role at work. There was a lot of confusion with uh, quotas and equality and everything else that was coming out. And I thought, right, men needed somewhere that they could uh, go and safely tell their stories without having anybody having a shot at them. And so I created the Campfire Project. But from day one, I'd had women in there. And it was not just going to be a men's group where men could go along to feel good about themselves, then go back out to the bigger world and then get put down by anybody who wanted to have a shot at them and then run back to the men's group again. I wanted those men to, like, it's like if you've been at school and you've done a, a degree or a course, how do you know you're any good at it until you step out and you go into the bigger world and you actually apply it? So I thought, right, here's a chance for them to have that, but also having women in the group, for those women to hear what men could speak like when they um, uh, were able to open up. And secondly, for those men to then realise that women there and getting into conversations with them. So it was always planned that women would also be done involved in the one-on-ones and also then the panel discussions. And it was when I started running the panel discussions with the men that the women just uh, started sending me personal messages saying, we've never heard men talk like this before. We love it. We want to get in conversations with them. And I went, great, the women are now asking to get involved, which I wanted from the very beginning, but I had to make until they were... Uh, ready to do that. So it came about for that particular reason, to create a a community where people could learn to speak to each other in a respectful way. So that they could talk about the things that were deep in their past that had been holding them back for a long time. There was a chance to do some um, uh, self-repair, some self-growth at the same time to be around other people and realise that they weren't just on their own. There are other people who have not been through the same thing but been through similar things and they had camaraderie in there because I know that we've got all these young sports stars and young men out there who are trying to be the man. They're trying to be better than everybody else and therefore what a horrible place to be because it's as lonely as anything. You're in competition with everybody. You're always looking over your shoulder. And what men should be striving to become is a man and being the best version of themselves because when we attract people who are similar to us. And so if you've worked through and you've become a better person in yourself, you're going to gravitate and be around people who have also done the same thing. Now you have camaraderie. You have a lot of friends and everything. else. You're growing your community. Everybody on the planet has a gift of one form or another. There are no two people with the same personality. So when they get together, they all contribute to creating a greater community. And that's what the Campfire Project was um, uh, designed to do and it's been doing that quite effectively and it's just going on two years now.
0: Yeah, I know. It's 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 absolutely an amazing place and um, I know that it's, it's helped a lot of people, you know, men and women alike. It's, um, yeah, I don't know, it's just it's just amazing. I, I can't say anything. I can't even find a better word than amazing. It's just, it's great. It's a great place. Um, so
1: yeah, so as you, you've been on the uh, the campfire uh, in two one-on-ones with me, and you've also been in quite a number of panels now, contributing your your knowledge and your wisdom in there as well. What did it feel like to you as you've been going through the opportunity to be able to tell your story?
0: Um. I think it was um, cathartic. The first one maybe not so much, but the second one was a lot better. I think getting, um, getting it out there and, and hopefully finding other like uh, people that have you know been through similar situations to know that um, you know, that they're not alone, that mm. uh, their story you know not the same as mine as you said, but similar and know that they can survive through it. Um, and there are ways, you know, that in paths that you can follow to to get past whatever it is that, um, you know, they need to do to get over the trauma that they've experienced. So, yeah, and the panels are, are, are great because um, you get so many different viewpoints. I mean, there's people from all over the world contributing to these panels. And, um, and uh, yeah, each has their own um, viewpoint on... Uh, the different different topics that we've had. So, you know, it's great. I love it.
1: Yeah, well, so we've had, what, now 77 panel discussions. We've had over 160 one-on-ones. Um, and then we've got um, Scott Carson's been running some Facebook Lives on there as well. So we've got a lot of activity. I think there's probably close to um, oh, hundred uh, oh, over 200 hours of videos sitting on there. In the, in the last two years so there's plenty there to watch but it's been the fact that on all of those I am yet to have heard anybody be rude to anybody else everyone's shown total respect if they don't agree with the, what the other person said the question has always been well explain to me how does that work tell me more and you know and this is the way a community should be we see on Facebook far too often Somebody will put a comment up and then other people will jump in and take sides. And all of a sudden you've got two fractions having a go at each other. Yeah,
0: You've got that trolling thing going on as well. So, yeah, that's, um, that's quite hurtful and harmful to, to who's ever involved, especially if the person who's being trolled is fragile.
1: That's it. Yeah, And the campfire project, as I said, I advertised it to get uh, people to come in who had wanted, you know, have been desperate to actually say something, you know, can never find a place before to be able to do that. So now to be able to come in and, you know, share their stories so they can have somebody actually hear them. Yeah. Um, and so as soon as that uh, happened, I thought, well, right, I've got a moral obligation to make sure that the place is extremely safe.
0: Yeah. And it's it's very important that people are heard too. Um, I don't think there's enough of that going on in the world. People have viewpoints or opinions or whatever, but um, they're too frightened to, to express them these days because of, you know, mm. the, the negative feedback that they're going to get, you know, mm. and people, you know, should be able to express themselves without fear of um, retribution or
1: That's
0: it. negative feedback. Mm. So tell me about the We Together initiative. I know that um, I'm part of that as well and that's part of the Campfire project, Uh, it sort of goes hand in hand. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well,
1: the whole lot virtually comes together as one because I'd looked at it before and I realised what, in 2003, because of all the abuse against women, the Me Too movement started and then which sold a, you know, was needed at the time to work on a lot of issues that were going on. There were people who, though, did abuse the, the situation. And in 2018, the uh, Mentor movement came out to combat, combat some of that. It's when you have, and it's the same as, as I said, on Facebook, you've got people taking sides. When you're not looking at the problem together, then you're going to be looking at it from a different standpoint. It's like if I put the number six on the ground between the two of us and you read it from your side and I read it from my side, one of us is going to read nine and the other one's going to read six. And so the end result is we're not going to see things exactly the same. But when we're together, shoulder to shoulder, looking out at the problem, then we can talk about it. We're not looking at each other being the, the blamed or the, the uh, reason why that problem exists we're looking at it and going, right, well, there is things that abuse against women, there's, you know, things against men, et cetera. If we look and go, right, where's the cause of this? Where did it come from? What's the, you know, not just a symptom that we're dealing with, but what's the actual cause? Then we can work on that together and eradicate it almost immediately. Whereas if we're on separate camps, there's so many acts angst and uh, mistrust that we never find a solution.
0: Mm. So getting back to your profiling Um, and, uh, you know, the workplace and so forth. How can uh, business leaders or, you know, supervisors or whatever, how can they become better leaders and managers through um, communication?
1: One of the things we find at the moment, I'd say that the number of leaders across the board is very few as opposed to the number of managers. We look at people as being resources. They're not. They're assets. You know, resources we leave on the shelf, we let them collect dust. Assets we look after, we cherish. When you've got somebody that you're able to read and understand and speak to them in the way that they need and want to be spoken to, the end result is they're going to be happier and they're more productive. It's the same as in a, a personal relationship. We have love when we know that we contribute, that we have a place, that we belong and so it's the same thing at work. If you don't feel that you contribute, if you feel that you're being micromanaged all the time, that you don't, you're don't, you not uh, respected for the work that you do, you don't feel that you've got a place. So the end result is you only do the amount of work you need to do to keep your pay coming in. And therefore the management will then micromanage you even further to make sure that that happens and therefore you withdraw even further again. So management skills have really, when we come to people, have, you know... Destroyed a lot of organisations and going into COVID, a lot of organisations, the moment they went into COVID and lockdown, they had to shut their doors because they had nothing in reserve because they didn't have that relationship with their staff and therefore didn't make the same amount of money. When you've got staff that are disengaged, because at the moment, 87% of the workplace from the Gallup research in 2018, and it'll be worse today, was were disengaged. In 2016, it was 66%. So it went up another 21% in the period of uh, two years. So we have people who now have been working from home and management's worried because now they've got to try and get those people back into the workplace and people were going back with resentment because they were productive at home and now they've got to go into the workplace and it might be two or three extra hours a day in travelling. They're not spending that time that they've really got used to being around their, their spouse and their children and having some more time with their kids, so those that were able to work from uh, from home before don't want to go back. So the management really needs to be able to read the people. They understand their personalities. They know how to talk to them. They know what tasks will suit them as well. And if a person is happy in their work, they're more productive.
0: Yeah, I agree. I um, I really agree with working from home. If because of the everything's you know well most things are done through the internet these days and mm. you really don't need to have a lot of face-to-face contact I mean there's always zoom calls or facetime or whatever you can you know talk to your boss so I don't know why people are so against people others working from home staff members working from home you know they're obviously thinking that perhaps they're not as productive but as you say they are they're more productive because they're more relaxed and more comfortable because they're not Mm. under so much pressure to be, um, I don't know, micromanaged because I so dislike being micromanaged. I mean, I like, and I think it's got one of the worst traits of a manager is to micromanage others. It's awful.
1: Because what they're saying is they don't trust you. Well, that's great for loyalty, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. uh, I'll take you back to the 1980s when I was with uh, Telecom. I had one staff member who came to me one day and he had some issues and couldn't you know it was struggling to get into work at eight o'clock every morning and so I let him come in later and I knew a couple of the other staff after a period of time started complaining because he was coming in later and they were still coming in at eight o'clock and I said well remember those jobs that you guys hate have you noticed any of you doing any of those jobs he said no and they all said no we, we, we haven't seen that we thought things would improved." no I said no he's doing them because I gave him, he needed, want, needed some space to be able to fix problems at home and come in later. He would then take on all the jobs that nobody else wanted. And he was happy to do that. So he was loyal to me and their life was made happier. And once they realised, because their issue was about the fact of the number of hours that they were in the office. He um, was in their less hours. So it was an hours thing. It was a feeling of somebody getting something that they didn't. And I worked on the principle if the guys were very efficient at what they did and were able to get their allotted work that they had to get done in that period of time and it wasn't a matter of I would do extra work to fill in the extra time because we didn't have that work at that time, mm. they could get away earlier. They just had to make sure they did it efficiently, they didn't rush it and they didn't cut corners. And so I was quite leaning in that way. But any time we had any tasks and we knew that we were going to have to put extra time into it, I didn't have to worry about overtime. Yeah, that's... The guys would just throw themselves into that work. So they received so much, they respected it, they acknowledged it, and that's how they um, then uh, paid it back.
0: Terrific. That's a really good philosophy. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I think more more people need to take that on board. Anyway, um, uh, come to the end of our session for today. So how can people um, reach out to you, Alan?
1: Best way is through my website, which is alanstevens.com.au. Alan with one L, A-L-A-N, and Stevens with a V, S-T-E-V-E-N-S. Uh, you know, forward dot uh, com dot au forward slash contact if they want to uh, uh, get in touch with me, or just have a look through the website first of all. And the success story page. You know, I always say to people, if you want to know what you can get out of this, you can listen to me all day, or you can go and listen to other people who have actually achieved results. Yeah. Go okay, to the success story page, have a good look through there, and then uh, if you'd like to contact me, please do.
0: And of course, um, go to the Facebook and go to the Campfire Project, find that, and yeah, um, ask to join. It's a really safe place to be. It's in it, it's amazing. I really enjoy it. Um, I don't participate as often as I should, but um, yeah, I I do encourage people to yeah, seek it out on Facebook and um, yeah.
1: There's only one qualification for the people to come in there. I don't care about your gender. I don't care about your, uh, your religion, your culture or anything else. All you have to do is have a respectful heart. You got yeah. that? You're welcome.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, Alan, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I, I look forward. Um, hopefully I can have you back. I'd like to explore this profiling a little bit more if that's all right with you. I'd love to. Yep, yeah, terrific. Thanks for your time, and um, we'll t- we'll talk again very soon.
1: Thank you. Goodbye Thanks for now,
0: Alan. Bye.